This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Christians in the wedding industry are under attack by secular pro-homosexual forces. A florist in Washington state, photographers and calligraphers in Arizona, filmmakers in Minnesota are all facing challenges. These challenges threaten loss of livelihood and more if they don't violate their consciences. Among those targeted are wedding cake bakers, a case of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, where a Christian baker refused to make a special cake for a gay couple's marriage, has been heard before the U.S. Supreme Court. But another case is Sweet Cakes by Melissa in Oregon. That bakery, owned by Aaron and Melissa Klein, declined to make a special cake for a lesbian marriage. The Kleins, as a result, lost their business and were ordered to pay the lesbian couple $135,000 for emotional damage. The Kleins appealed, but the appellate court just ruled against them. Sweet Cakes by Melissa is represented by First Liberty Institute. I speak with First Liberty Counsel Stephanie Taub about the case. And now today's Fast Track. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California announced yesterday that the House of Representatives will vote on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act next week. That's the week of the annual March for Life. The bill would amend existing U.S. law to prohibit health care practitioners from failing to exercise the proper degree of care in the case of a child who survives an abortion or an attempted abortion. Health care practitioners present when a child is born alive during an abortion procedure are required, at the risk of fines and imprisonment, to exercise the same degree of professional skill, care, and diligence to preserve the life and health of the child as a reasonably diligent and conscientious health care practitioner would render to any other child born alive in the same gestational age and to ensure that the child born alive is immediately transported to and admitted to a hospital. The 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously upheld a 2014 vote in favor of an amendment to the Tennessee State Constitution yesterday, which said that nothing in the state constitution protects a right to abortion. According to Amendment 1, nothing in the state constitution, in its words, secures or protects the right to an abortion or requires the funding of an abortion. State lawmakers may enact, amend, or repeal statutes regarding abortion. On Monday, President Trump nominated former Senate member and Kansas Governor Sam Brownback as an ambassador-at-large for international religious freedom, this for the second time in six months. In July, President Trump named Brownback as his nomination for the position. However, the Senate failed to confirm the governor before the year's end. The ambassador-at-large for International Religious Freedom Office is responsible for monitoring religious persecution and discrimination worldwide, in addition to developing programs and executing policies which encourage religious freedom. This position is crucial in leading the U.S. government's efforts to promote religious freedom around the world. 
A bill to legalize assisted suicide in Indiana has come under fire by pro-life groups shortly after it was introduced into the Indiana legislature. House Bill 1157, which was introduced by Democratic State Representative Matt Price, House Bill 1157, which was introduced by Democratic State Representative Matt Pierce, would allow adults who have been diagnosed with a terminal illness to end their own lives with the assistance of a doctor, this following a 15-day waiting period and other psychological examinations. Currently, six states, plus the District of Columbia, have legalized assisted suicide, the most recent of these being the district whose law went into effect in February of last year. World Liquor News Digest will be back right after these messages. A new year and a new program on KFUO. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, weekdays at 9 a.m. starting January 12th. What are we going to talk about? Uh, stuff? Coffee and stuff. <laughs> uh, what about um, intersection of, of Lutheran life in the secular world? Sounds like you read that. I totally read that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll share real-life stories of mercy work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and Partners, updates from missionaries across the ocean, and practical talk about living boldly Lutheran in a secular world. Bring your coffee. Bring your coffee. Find a good donut, too. You gotta have coffees and donuts. And bacon. And bacon. And scrambled eggs. Now I'm hungry. I'm going to go find something to eat. Good idea. The Coffee Hour, weekdays from 9 to 9.30 with Andy and Sarah on Worldwide KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. My guest today is Ms. Stephanie Taub, who's an attorney with the First Liberty Institute. Ms. Taub, you have quite a background in law. I understand that you uh, actually went to Harvard Law, and prior to that, you went to USC and graduated summa cum laude. That's right. Wow, I'm impressed. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. First Liberty has been heavily involved in uh, issues, as the name applies, of, of issues that pertaining to religious liberty in the United States. One case that has been followed closely by by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and, and other Christians is the case of Sweet Cakes by Melissa. Now, this is a case of an Oregon baker, uh, a woman, and her husband, Melissa and Eric Klein, who had this this custom bake shop. And what happened, my understanding is that a lesbian couple came in, or actually it was a lesbian, and her mother came into the store and said that they wanted to have a special cake made for the daughter's lesbian wedding. The Kleins refused to do it, saying that it violated their religious beliefs. And the uh, women then took it to the... uh, Oregon uh, Civil Rights Commission, and it went up through the courts. And the long, long story short, the clients were put out of business and fined $135,000. That's right. Just last week, the Oregon Court of Appeals issued an opinion affirming that $135,000 penalty. So they basically rejected the client's argument that free speech and freedom of religion requires that we treat everyone um, that we respect everyone's beliefs and that we not, um, or that we make sure that freedom of expression and is protect, 
for ourselves means we have to protect freedom of expression for others. And the court flatly rejected that? Well, they essentially said that um, in this case, they didn't think that these custom designed cakes for art or expression. And so then they didn't um, they didn't grant them the same free speech and free expression rights that we see in other cases. Now, this is going up into the Oregon state court system. Now, would this go to the Oregon state Supreme Court at this case if you choose to appeal it? That's right. So the next step would be uh, Oregon Supreme Court and then potentially the U.S. Supreme Court. Which brings to mind another uh, case, that of being the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, which very, very similar to this case. In this point, in this case, there was uh, two gay men had gone to the Masterpiece Cake Shop and asked for a special cake to be done for the gay marriage. And the owner of that store, Mr. Jack Phillips, declined on the basis of religion. And this one did go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and our, uh, oral arguments were heard last month, and a ruling is expected perhaps by early summer. Will this impact the case of uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa? It's very likely. Yeah, we are expecting an opinion of that around June of this year. Um, that's when, uh, when we anticipate it coming out. Uh, so it's, it's very likely that whatever happens in that case could, um, could impact Aaron and Melissa. And we're optimistic that we hope the Supreme Court will, um, will respect the freedom of expression for all. And my understanding, again, not being an attorney, but my understanding is, is that when state law conflicts with federal law, federal law takes precedence. That's right. So if the federal courts say, uh-uh, this is free expression, it would nullify the, uh, the state rulings. That's right. Because right, what we have at issue is uh, First Amendment issues. And so the First Amendment, it does apply to the states. So the states have to or they are not allowed to infringe on the freedom of speech or freedom of religion of anybody. And so that federal law that's in the United States Constitution will trump. Now, the Colorado, uh, pardon me, the uh, Oregon officials were saying that this isn't a case uh, where, where this person is an artist. Therefore, they don't have any special protection. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, so you can look at the court's opinion um, for yourself, and your readers can look at it. It's available at firstliberty.com. We have put it up there on our website. So the court essentially said that um, the judges didn't think that custom designing or creating a custom cake uh, was a form of art, and they didn't think that this sort of um, the, uh, the hours that you put into this sort of a custom cake uh, constituted, um, constituted expression either, um, which... Um, it strikes me as rather odd because people don't pay the sort of exorbitant prices you see for wedding cakes um, because in order to simply like eat the wedding cake, they they pay this price because this is, becomes the centerpiece of weddings of multiple photographs because of its artistic nature. That's why this is such a thriving industry. Now I know in the uh, masterpiece cake shop issue, uh, Mr. Phillips offered to sell them any cake that was in the shop. He simply refused to make a special cake for them. Was this the same situation with the clients? That's right. The clients serve everyone who comes into their store, um, and they've they've served actually one of these um, one of the, the people in the couple before. Um, so they've served everybody. But there are just some messages that they don't create, like they don't do Halloween cakes or lewd bachelorette cakes and um, other, other cakes um, that they object to. So here, uh, this is about, it's about the message, and it's about not being compelled to say a message. 
that um, that you don't want to say. And that, that, that really is important for everybody, no matter your perspective on, on this issue. It's very important to protect everybody, um, every artist's right not to be compelled to create art. Well, I think it goes even further than that. Uh, the First Amendment, of course, guarantees the right of free speech. But what about compelled speech, whether you're an artist or not? Could I be compelled to say something under this ruling? Yeah, that's that's right. So this this case this case does have very far-reaching implications. So under this sort of reasoning, uh, the question is whether you or it's possible that um, the government could try to force a Democratic speechwriter to have to write for a Republican, or um, or force um, an person that identifies as LGBT to have to create art for a Westboro Baptist celebration. There are, um, so this sort of reasoning, if, if actually it applies wider than this case, could be potentially very dangerous to everybody's First Amendment rights. And then, of course, there's the idea of the 14th Amendment, where there's supposed to be equal treatment. Uh, I know in the Colorado case, uh, there was, uh, there were actually uh, three separate bakeries that were run by, uh, by gay bakers refused to put to make special cakes with uh, Bible verses on it condemning homosexuality. This was taken to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and they said they were within the rights to refuse to do it, but then ruled against a Masterpiece Cake Shop. So again, there was a case where there were two sets of rules here. I, I think the, the legal uh, concept is that there's such a thing as protected class. Is that correct? Yeah, so in... Um in these different public, it's, uh, these different state statutes, um, they protect certain classes. So, uh, like race, religion, and sometimes some states um, also include sexual orientation, and um, other, and sometimes um, even more than that. So they're not allowed to. They say that they're not allowed to discriminate based on any of those protected classes. And so, yeah, that's that's, that's basically the framework. The framework going into these. Yeah, but what's important is that the Supreme Court has held that um, even though these um, pub- these uh, public accommodation statutes are generally acceptable, that still doesn't give governments and states the right to infringe on your First Amendment rights. They still can't use those to tell you to say a certain message, and, and that's what's at issue here. Well, I'm going to paraphrase George Orwell in Animal Farm, where he said something to the effect of all people are equal, but some people are more equal than others. And that seems to be what the yeah. what the proponents of the what the litigants are saying in this particular case. And uh, personally, I find that rather bizarre and more than a little frightening. Uh, again, the, this whole concept of of compelled speech to me is extremely disturbing. And I, I can't think of any particular instance where government actually has the right to say you must say or write or express something. I mean, even. Saying the Pledge of Allegiance, for example, is not mandatory. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you look at, and that's a, a very famous, uh, a very famous Supreme Court case called the Barnett case, where they held that um, a Jehovah's Witness um, didn't what wasn't compelled to say the Pledge of Allegiance um, against his because it violated his sincerely held religious beliefs. And so that's been a staple of American law that we don't want to compel people, no matter your religious beliefs. You don't want to compel them to actually devote their, um, to say something that they disagree with. And here you're asking someone to devote the hours and, um, and hours of their time, uh, custom creating, um, custom creating a, uh, a piece of art, um, for some, for an event they don't agree with. And whatever event that is, 
um, we shouldn't be allowed, you shouldn't be compelled by the government under massive, massive fines or threats of massive fines to do that. I wonder if the court would, would consider a, a gourmet chef to be an artist or not. Because it seems to well, me that's the same thing. Well, you have to look at, um, I guess you'd have to look at the particular situation and then apply the same test that's been applied, um, that's, um, that the court always applies. So you have to see if this is, if they're intending to express something with it um, and in addition to their, in addition to their artistic merit. So it seems like this, um, whatever would happen with the chef case, this cake baking case is, is or custom creating cake design is, is, a, is a clearer case than the chef case. A lot of this, though, is coming out in the, uh, of course, obviously it's related to marriage and it's going back to the Obergefell decision. And I, I reread that decision earlier today. And there were warnings both by the uh, majority and by the dissenters that said, be careful because these traditionally held beliefs are honestly held by people of goodwill. And that there was a danger that suddenly the, the, these people would be attacked. It seems to me that's what we're seeing now. And as I said, this was warned both by the both by the the, the justices who affirmed the decision and those who dissented. Yeah, and we see in the Obergefell decision that um, Justice Kennedy writes that people of have decent and honorable reasons for believing in, many people have decent and honorable reasons for believing in marriages between a man and a woman. And these beliefs have been around for millennia. And so the question in Obergefell is very different than the question before Masterpiece, because um, the question in Masterpiece Cake Shop and in the Klein's case is whether you can compel an individual who, um, no, for uh, a Catholic, Christian, um, Muslim, Jewish person, any um, someone or someone with just a sincerely held belief that marriage is between a man and a woman, to uh, to say that marriage is is not to celebrate a marriage that's um, that's different from what they believe in. Well, it 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 bothers me in a number of different ways. I mean, we're seeing some very basic constitutional issues here. You know, we're either a nation of laws or we aren't. And uh, it seems to me that a lot of these rulings now are are flaunting both the tradition and the and the Constitution, which is the basis of all of our laws. That's how we see it. Um, we hope the Supreme Court, and if this goes to the Oregon uh, Supreme Court, that they will upheld uh, the freedom of expression protects, or uh, that everyone is entitled to um, to freely express their own beliefs and that the government can't force us under threat of massive penalties to say things that go against our religious beliefs. We want to have a, a truly diverse country, we're going to have to um, we're going to have to protect free speech for all, even speech that the government doesn't necessarily like. Well, it goes even farther than that. Where where I look at the case uh, specifically with uh, with Sweet Creeks by Melissa, where not only were they ruled against, but they were punished for having the wrong ideas. They were given a hundred and thirty five thousand dollar fine. Actually, I think they had to pay it to the uh, to the couple who filed the uh, complaint. It wasn't so much as said, no, you must do this, but oh, you have the wrong idea. We're going to punish you. We're going to break you. We're going to put you out of business. It's a pretty massive sign. And if you look at other cases by um, the Oregon um, Bureau of Labor and Industries where they've issued fines, um, anything that um, it's it's massive by that, by comparison. And if you look at other cases, a lot of those cases involved 
like worse workplace harassment that took place over over many months and sometimes involved physical uh, abuse or, or sexual harassment and, and and that's why those sorts of excessive or those sorts of high fines were appropriate in those cases but here this is one isolated incident one like civil discourse where they said that no they couldn't custom design a cake and they said that that was worth 135 thousand dollars of emotional damages which is really ex- extreme and this court just last week upheld that well we're seeing uh, we're seeing it in a, in a broad spectrum here not just with uh, cake makers we've got uh the florist in Washington State. We have movie makers uh, who do movie who uh, who film wedding ceremonies. We have photographers. We have uh, people who to uh, do calligraphy, specialized announcements of weddings, who are all facing the same thing. Yeah, that's right. We have um, several of these cases that that are kind of have percolated up through the through the legal system, and so we hope that the Supreme Court and the Masterpiece Cake Shop will do the right thing and. In the meantime, we hope that the um, the state supreme courts will also do the right thing and protect um, protect free speech for everybody. It would be nice, but you know the Supreme Court has um, shown a reluctance to give a broad ruling on things. Uh, I'm, I'm looking, you know, the, the Obergefell decision I think was an exception where they broadly ruled and said, okay, here we're throwing out this entire body of tradition and law and reinstituting another one. Generally, when the Supreme Court, for example, with the uh, with the Hobby Lobby case, they're much more narrow in their definition and their rulings. And uh, I'm wondering with the Masterpiece Cake Shop, if they might come up with a very narrow ruling rather than a broad ruling on the basis of free speech and, and uh, free exercise of religion. Well, that's entirely possible. Um, yeah, even if we get a narrow ruling, that, that would probably still be uh, a step in the right direction. But I guess we're just going to have to see what the court does in, in the next in the coming months. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Well, I noticed that one of the um, dissenting rulings, uh, actually all the dissenting rulings, said that uh, one of the things that disturbed the dissenters in the Obergefell decision was that five judges were essentially taking the democratic process away from the voters. Prior to Obergefell, something like 11 states had recognized gay marriage, uh, the others had not, and that it was going through the political process and through the democratic process as the founders, uh, founders envisioned. The Supreme Court took it out of the voters' hands. Very dangerous precedent, I think. Yeah, that's that's right. So there is there's definitely there's definitely that concern. And so here there are there are certain times where it's important to make sure that there are some things that the states that the states can't do. Like here, um, we're talking about when you're forcing an individual to to say or do something that goes against their sincerely held um, convictions. That's why it's important in cases like uh, in cases like masterpiece and cases like the clients to be able to to be able to to create freely create their art without being compelled to compelled to state the state's message. And of course, there's the idea of a free exercise of religion. You know, where the faith does not end at the church door. And I think a lot of people on the progressive side and the secular side are saying, yeah, it does. you got freedom of worship but not freedom of religion. And as a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, you have to live your faith every day or you're not fully practicing your faith. Yeah, that's it's, that's an important tension. And, and yeah, we are seeing that a little bit more, more and more in the discourse um, that people might not 
uh, be as willing to protect you once you go out into the public square. And that is that is troubling because you wouldn't say that to uh, anybody else that, oh, your, um, your creed, your sincerely held beliefs, uh, that they they kind of vanish as you go about your day-to-day life. In fact, a lot of times we encourage businesses to uh, live by moral standards, by ethical standards, higher than just uh, necessarily their profit motive in other contexts. So uh, why wouldn't we encourage businesses to abide by um, moral standards when those are derived from religion? That's a good question. (laughs) And again, (laughs) one I can't answer. But again, the idea of of, uh, free exercise, this this is the thing where where so many people on the other side, on the secular side, talk about, well, they, they forget about the free exercise clause. It's always the establishment clause. And the two are intricately, are intricately linked. You know, we're, the state is not establishing a faith, but people have the right or shouldn't have the right to practice their faith. And so many of these cases now are saying, uh-uh, you don't have that right. Yeah. So, so the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause, they were obviously written at the same time. And so we, we've seen a lot of cases try to pit them against each other, but they're in the same the same sentence, uh, so that they they obviously were meant to be uh, read in unity with one another, and so so it's very uh, it, I guess it'd be important in the in the coming years for the, the Supreme Court to clarify its establishment clause juris, jurisprudence um, and create some some consistency and uniformity in that. But yeah, the the free exercise clause it, it's important. It protects all of us um, from being forced to violate our. Uh, our religious beliefs. The government can't target you because it dislikes your religious beliefs. It can't uh, selectively apply a statute like we argued um, that the Bureau of Labor and Industries did here against religious believers, but not against other um, other people who, um, if if the government were actually to apply its law, its reasoning consistently, uh, would also fall under the uh, the umbrella of of the statute. Well, we're about running out of time here, Ms. Taub. Uh, where do we stand now in terms of uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa? Are we just on hold now until the uh, Supreme Court makes its decision a masterpiece, or will we go through with the appeals process to the state Supreme Court? So this case is still going. Um, we're taking our. We're going to consider whether to go to the uh, Oregon Supreme Court. So they, the cases would run independently, and uh, we're going to consider our next steps moving forward. Well, thank you very much for appearing on the program, Ms. Tom. You've answered a lot of questions and raised some concerns that I think we need to be aware of. Well, thank you so much. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.